0: Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his lord's money. After a long time, the lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For uh, letting
1: us get up here and lead services tonight. Um, as Jeremy just read, my uh, parable is the talents. Um, it's a parable that I've got to condense all this information. I think there's a lot of information, a lot of stories that we can learn from the talents, and I'm trying to condense it down to five or ten minutes' time. But I encourage you to go home and to read the talents, and there's many lessons that you can learn out of it. I'm going to try to narrow it down to a couple of points. Um, if I was to give you an amount of money, say I was to give, e- give you an amount of money, and I want you to go invest it, I gave you $5,000, I gave you $2,000, and then I gave you $1,000. And you find the people that you want to invest in, invest whatever you want to, real estate, stocks, bonds, mutual bonds, mutual funds, whatever you want. You would go out and you would invest with the people that you thought would do the best with your money. And, and a year comes by and you, you want to see how your money was. So you go to the first man that you gave $5,000 to. He comes to you and he says, you know, I did real good with your money. I put it in a lot of different areas and I got back $10,000 so I doubled your money. You'd be very pleased with that and say, oh, it's a good return. I appreciate it. You know, I'll, I'll give you more money next time, and then we'll see what you can do with that. So the next guy comes, comes to you that you gave the $2,000 to. See how he does? He comes back, and he gave he, the money that you gave to him. He doubles that and gives you $4,000. You're very pleased with that. You're, you're happy. Like, I appreciate it. Well, thank you. So then it comes to the man you gave $1,000 to. You come back, and you ask him, you're expecting a return. You know, maybe $1,500, $1,200 would be Okay. You, he comes to and he's like, well, you know, I know you're a man that uh, he, I didn't want to lose your money. I wanted you to, to have what you had. I didn't want it to get down to 800 or $500. I didn't want you to get mad at me. And you're like, well, you know, well, how much money did you get? Did you lose some money? You put some in? Well, you know, I took the money and I, I took it home and I stuck it in an envelope and I stuck it under my mattress. I didn't want to lose any money. So if that was me and I took my money and I asked that man, I'd be upset. I'd be upset for the one reason that he didn't try. And now in the parables, there's a couple points I want to go over. There's three points I want to go over. But the main focus that I want to put on tonight is I want to put on the the one-talent man, the man that had the one talent and that gained nothing out of it. And my first point that I want to go is that each man of this talent was called to by his master, and he was given something. Nobody was passed over. Everybody was given something. And each one of us has been given something by God, whether it be we're, we're a good mechanic we can get up here and lead singing, we can preach, or maybe we can, uh, we're good at filling out uh, World Bible School and sending those out to people. Each one of us is given something by God. It might not be as much as somebody else. Somebody might be gifted with a lot of things, or we might just be one. That's not the point. Each one of us is given something. My second point is that we're given to our ability. If you're a good car mechanic, I'm going I'm to come with you and I'm going to give you my business, because that's your ability. That's what you can do. I'm not going to come and I'm not going to ask you to can you sew this button on this shirt for me because that's not your specialty. Your specialty is cars. So I'm going I'm to give to you what your ability is. I want you to invest in what you're, what you're good at. If I want you to invest in real estate, I'm not going to tell you, I want you to invest in some stocks for me because that's not your, not your specialty. My third point is that there was a reward for, each, for the, each man and there was also a consequence for the other two. The first two men, the one with the five talents and with two talents, they were rewarded by their master. He told them, well, good, well, well done, well, good and faithful servant, come and join in your master's happiness. The last man, his talent was taken away from him. As I assume, if you came to somebody that you invested your money in and they didn't do good, you'd take that money that you gave him and you'd give it to the man that knows how to invest his money. And that went with the one talent. He was put into the into darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what I want to focus on here is the one-talent man. Why did the one-talent man not go out and do anything? Was that his sin? Was it not going out and doing anything? Or was his sin just not trying? His sin was not trying. It was not that he didn't gain money. That's not the point, is that he didn't try. And our abilities that we have are not like are like muscles. We've got to work them. Like, if, if you want to be a good athlete, you've got to go out and you've got to finally tune your muscles every day. The professional athletes, they got to go out there and they got to do their exercises. They got to do the things that they do. If they're a baseball player, they got to take batting practice. If they're a football player, they need to lift weights and run. They can't just sit around and say, well, it's time to go play a game. Let's go. It doesn't work like that. Uh, we must keep on improving on our abilities, continually fine tuning them. Now, a couple of a weeks ago, I got this letter in the mail and I don't like getting mail too much because it's either somebody trying to sell me something or it's a bill. And uh, But I got this letter and I brought it to show you, and it had a uh, blue and red on it, so I thought I'd, I'd give it a shot and I'd open it up. I could tell by the outside, I thought somebody's going to be trying to sell me something. It's called the Navajo Society. Some of y'all might have got the same letter in the mail, I don't know, but they told me I was the only one. <laughs> so, first thing when I open it up is like, do not throw this letter away. You've been selected by um, a group of people. People that are up high in society, leaders, presidents, whatever it may be, actors, whatever. So I read this thing, and it's eight pages long. It took me a while, and it kept on going through there. It was like, don't throw this away. Keep this information to yourself, and it's absolutely free. And when it keeps throwing that in there, I'm thinking, you know, they're trying to pitch me something here. So I got down to the end of it, and it was like, I summed it up saying, well, we got all these secrets that have been put in these books since the time of the Greeks. Every leader's ever known known these secrets. All the presidents, all the great actors, actresses, whatever you may be. To have success and money, and we're going to send you this book for free. But the only thing you can't do is you can't tell anybody. Well, why would I not want to tell somebody if I know if I can make you rich, if I can make you famous, a leader of a country? Why would I not want to tell my friends or my family? That's kind of like how this uh, man with the one talent did. He he had something, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to go out and do anything about it. He wanted to keep it to himself. Maybe it's because he was scared. And i don't know but if this thing if i really thought it was true i would have sent it in which i didn't because i didn't believe in it but i wouldn't be able to keep this secret i'd be up here hey look what i got i got this letter we're all gonna be rich come on let's go let's fill this out and turn it in but i couldn't do that i didn't believe in it but like many of us today like the one talent man we we got a secret we got something that we've been keeping inside of us that people in the world that they don't know, people that we go to school with, people that we work with, or whatever our walk of life might be, they don't know. They don't know that, that we're Christians, that we know the greatest secret that's ever been on the face of the earth, that Jesus died for us, hung on that cross, showed victory over the, uh, the grave and over death so that every one of us had the opportunity to go to heaven, every one that's ever lived and every one that's going to live. So I don't know about y'all, but I wouldn't want to keep a secret like that to myself. And it seems like a lot of us were beaten down by the world each day, keeping this secret from people. We might not be doing it on purpose. We don't have to go out there and be shouting on the corner of the street, hey, guess what? I'm a Christian. Let me tell you about Jesus. That might not be our thing. We might, like I said earlier, send out letters in the mail for Vacation Bible School. I'll tell you the thing that I love the most is just to give an opportunity, just to give myself uh, something to say to approach somebody, because I'm not big on just approaching somebody is when we have friends days here, I love it when we have friend day. Because it just gives me that opportunity to tell somebody, hey, we, we got a friend day at church, I go to Mount Juliet Church of Christ, I consider you my friend, I'd like you to come to church with me. Well, maybe they'll come, maybe they won't come. But it gives me that opportunity to go to them. And there's going to be many trials and tribulations when we go to people. A lot of them are going to say no, but somebody's going to say yes. One of these times, I've asked a lot of people, most of them don't come, the majority, but some, somebody is going to come, and some of them have. When I come back to the talents, when everyone was given something, each and every one of us has been given something. If you would, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. I'm going to read something to you, and I'm sure every one of you has heard this and probably read it yourself. It's the Great Commission. Now, this is Jesus talking here, and he said... All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Now, this is a great secret right here, a great secret that we keep. It's far more valuable than this right here. This piece of paper to me is worthless. Just tear it up and throw it in the trash. Now, this is something right here that we can cherish. This is something we do not want to keep to ourselves. We can take this parable of the talents and learn how we don't want to keep it to ourselves because what happens when we keep something to ourselves? There's consequences. We don't use our abilities that God's given us. We've not all been given the equal abilities, but we've all been given something. We've been given this gift to God, the gift of going to heaven, the gift of eternal salvation, the gift of one day knowing that we can make it there if we follow the Bible and its instructions. Like uh, David Shannon says on a couple of his lessons a couple of weeks ago, we don't want to be nearsighted and just looking down here. We want to be far sighted and looking towards heaven. This men in the parable, I'm sure when they got that money from their master, they could have said, Wow, look at this money I have right here. I can go right out and I can spend this this money, I can go buy this this nice mule, this horse over here back in our days. Or we could look at it, if we got the money now, I can go out and buy me a nice car. Because the talent back in those days it was said to be worth around a thousand dollars, so that's a lot of money. It's not like they ain't trusting with five or ten dollars. So we, gotta, we can't just look right now and see what we're going to do. We've got to look for the future. They didn't want to take that money because they knew uh, and spend it on something. They knew that their master was coming back and they wanted to be prepared. And that's how we should be. We should be prepared and go out there and tell our fellow friends, not keep this secret inside of us. Because what a travesty it would be to keep the greatest secret that's ever been on the face of the earth and not tell anybody. And I ask you to not keep this secret to yourself, to use your abilities. So that one day you can also hear the Master come back and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share with me my happiness.
2: We'll turn to number 634. 634.
0: Chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. That's page 922 in your pew Bibles. Luke 13:6 through 9. <clears throat> he also spoke this parable: A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, "Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground?" But he answered and said unto him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down.
3: I'd like to thank everyone for letting us come here tonight and speak to y'all. And I tell you what, that's going to be a hard act to follow right there. That was a... Real good lesson, Daniel. And I want to thank all the elders for letting us have the opportunity to come out here and speak to you. You know, I was at a uh, a retreat this weekend, uh, and uh, I had a lot of fun. I met some new people, people I didn't know, and uh, got to share some time with people I have, I do know here at Mount Juliet, and it was a real exciting time for me. Uh, and I tell you what, you can, you can see the fruit on people there. It was growing. And... Uh, I. I as far as the fertilizing and the digging goes, we were really digging deep. We got dared and we got double dared. Ain't that right, Roddy? And uh, it was a real good time. If you own an orchard, if you had a a field of corn, if you had a, a row of tomatoes in your backyard, and, and, you, and you were, say you were hungry for a tomato sandwich, and you went outside, and you were looking for tomatoes, but you couldn't find any. I believe you'd probably be pretty upset, wouldn't you? I would be. Especially if I had an apple tree and I was going outside and I was looking for a real nice apple. Maybe that was my livelihoods, growing apples. And I went outside and I went to pick me an apple and I couldn't find an apple. I'd want to talk to somebody and say, why aren't there any apples on this tree? And, uh, you know, people are going to be looking to us at one time or another, it's coming. Either either people are your peers or, or God himself is looking every day to see if you've got any fruit on your tree. And it, it's, it needs to be made evident. People should be able to know who you are, what you're about, what you do, the type of person you are just by the things that you do, things that grow from you. It tells us in the scripture that people will know us by the love we have for one for another. And I think that the, the fruit that we should have, the, the one that should be evident to everybody, is the love we have one for another. People should be able to see us and say, they got something special. I want some of that. And, you know, I, I think it works great with the lesson that was just given us. These These things... Are, that are given to us, this love that was given by God to us is is something that we should want to go out and reproduce, give give, give people this love, and that people when they see that they want to give us love back, and then it's just an unending chain, and it's great. And I, you know, the, the whole message of the gospel to me is love. For God, you know, so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That's what it's all about. You know. There, there are times when it's easy. There are times when it's easy to show that love for one another. It's, it's times when it's easy to be fruitful, when people can come and look at you and say, "Yeah, he's got it. He's 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 he knows what he's doing right now. He's got it, he's got it working." And I tell you what, you know, this weekend to me it was it was so easy because I was surrounded by people that had the same feelings I do towards the Lord that have the same beliefs that I do and it's easy when you're surrounded by those people to worship God, is it not? It's easy on Sunday morning when everybody's singing to sing right along, jump in there and and to have a really good time and enjoy worshiping the Lord and you know, this guy asked for another season and we don't you know what? I think you got the season. I think God is, that, is patient with us, don't you? I, th- I think that's, that could be a lesson in itself, just God's patience. But if we take that time, and our time that we hear, have here on earth, and we spend them around other Christians, it makes it easier for us. It, it, it makes it a lot easier. And if, if you start digging, if you st- start doing some soul searching, we might call it praying, right? Start doing some praying and some reading the scripture. I think we can be fruitful for the Lord. If you would turn to page seven nineteen, seven one nine.
4: My scripture reading tonight is going to come from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That's page 861 in your pew Bible. Once again, that's Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him. So that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on the ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, Who has ears to hear, let him hear.
5: Are you a gardener? Do you enjoy gardening or maybe you watch HDTV, home and garden television or you know read those gardening magazines? me i'm I'm not much of a gardener. it doesn't have something to do with cars you know I'm not real big into it but um. <laughs> um my probably my only experience or my most memorable experience with gardening occurred when I was a kid i was uh one year after Halloween, you know we had a pumpkin and uh I threw it out in the backyard just to get rid of it. and Didn't think anything else about it, and uh, the the next summer I was cutting grass, and I noticed that uh, you know there were some leaves in the grass that you normally you don't see in the grass. So I decided not to run over them because I'd already you know gotten in trouble for running over a little baby tree, and, and uh, so I knew not to run over the stuff that didn't look like grass. So, and um, <laughs> and uh, as the summer progressed, the the leaves. The leaves got bigger, and I uh, noticed that you know there were some orange sprouts coming up, and uh, and by the time fall came, I would had some pumpkins, and um, and every year after that, or you know a couple years after that, um, I'd, I'd always after Halloween, I'd throw the pumpkin out in the backyard, and I I never got any more pumpkins to grow, but um, that was, that's my um, good experience with gardening. Um, but even if you're not a gardener, the uh, the application of the the parable of the souls is pretty easy to understand. And uh, Jesus taught in parables so that the people listening uh, could relate and apply it to their own lives. And this is one of the few parables where we actually have our, uh, our own, or Jesus gave his own interpretation of the parable. The value of this parable becomes clear in the light of Jesus' explanation. It helps us to see ourselves, who we really are, in regards to the way we have received the word in our hearts. The sower in the, in the parable of the soils is, is Christ, and the seed is the word of the kingdom. Verse 19. The type of ground that the seed or the word lands on illustrates the, the kind of heart that a person has. The seed that falls by the wayside or on the pathway soil illustrates that there is absolutely no place for the seed to take root and grow. It represents the heart that is unreceptive to the word of Christ. Because they don't understand it or because their heart is hardened. And the birds in the parable represent the evil one, or Satan, who snatches away what has been sown in their heart. The next soil Jesus tells us about is the rocky soil. Since there wasn't much soil in the rocky places, the, the seed sprung up quickly, but it quickly withered away. And uh, Jesus tells us in verse 20 that the rocky soil represents the man who hears the word and receives it with joy, but has no root in himself and endures only for a while. The heart that the Rocky Soul represents reminds me of a, uh, of a girl that I met in El Salvador two years ago. And uh, this girl, she was about 20 years old or so, and uh, she, she had a situation. She was, um, I, I don't remember if her parents had died, or, or I know she wasn't, I, she didn't have any contact with her parents, and um, she was living with her boyfriend, and uh, she, she understood, you know, um, God's word, and she actually, they had studies with her. Uh, the, you know, the people in our group, and she she was receptive to the word of Christ, and she understood, and she was uh, she was glad, you know, for what Christ had done for her. But um, you know, as the week progressed, we we thought that she would respond to the gospel, and she never did because she felt like uh, she just couldn't because of her situation, and um, it's it's a shame, and but. This girl's heart was similar to the, to the rocky soil that Jesus talks about in his parable. She received the word with joy, but didn't allow it to take root in her and, and, and grow. The next type of soil the seed fell on was, was full of thorns. When the seed sprouted, it was choked by the thorns. In verse 22, we find out that this type of soil represents the man who hears the word, but, worry, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth quickly choke it, and which made it unfruitful. The type of person, this type of person, has a good heart, but they they get too caught up in worldly things and don't allow their faith to take them anywhere. The next soul found in is found in verse eight is the good soul. It produced crops many times what was sown. This is the man who hears the word and understands it and brings souls to God's kingdom. It's amazing how perfectly this parable still applies to us today in two thousand five. In the same manner that it applied, applied to the crowds who, uh, who were listening on the shore that day that Jesus told the parable more than 2,000 years ago. So tonight I ask you, what, what, what kind of soul are you? Are you the, are you the pathway soul? Uh, maybe you've heard the gospel of Christ and his kingdom, but you're not yet a Christian. Um, you may be in the process of hardening your heart the longer you wait. Don't, don't let Satan steal the, the seed that's already been sown like the birds in the parable. Or maybe you're the rocky or the, or the thorny soul. You've responded to the gospel at one time, but, um, but you're becoming preoccupied with cares and riches and pleasures of the world. Or are you the good soul, ripping, ripping many more times what, is, what has been sown in your heart? No matter what kind of soul is, is on the ground, it can, it can only improve by, uh, by mixing in good soil with it.
3: If you would, go ahead and mark the Song of Invitation tonight. It'd be 924. 924 would be the Song of Invitation. And then if you would, go ahead and turn to page 643. 643. Are you...
2: be reading this evening from Matthew 22, verse 1 through 14. That's page 872 in your pew Bibles. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who are invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again he sent out their servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are are killed. And all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own, own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways. And as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Those servants went out into the highway and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came, into the see, came in to see the guests, he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. He said to him, Friend, how did you not come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, Take him away, cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen.
6: Imagine, if you will, that you have just become engaged to be married. And the day after your engagement, your very wealthy uncle comes to you and your fiancé and he says, I've decided to give you one million dollars to cover the expense of your wedding. You get very excited and you begin to plan. The first thing you plan is where are you going to have this extravagant wedding? Well, since you've got a million dollars, you can have it in Hawaii or Cancun or Aruba or Dixon, Tennessee. And let's say you eventually decide to have this very extravagant wedding... In Hawaii. Well, after that, you've got to plan on how are you going to get there. You want to invite all of Mount Juliet Church of Christ, so you decide to rent out a jumbo jet for the weekend. You've got a million dollars, so you can afford to do it. Third, you've got to decide what you're going to wear. If you're the bride, you may decide to wear a wedding dress covered in diamonds. If you're the groom, you may buy an Armani tuxedo with diamond cufflinks. Fourth, you've got to decide what the decorations are going to be. And since you've got a million dollars, you're going to to decorate everything uh, with roses, you're going to have fountains, you're going to have candles, and you're going to have ice sculptures everywhere. And last but not least, you've got to decide what kind of food you're going to have at the reception. And being a good southerner, you've decided to have nothing but chocolate and homemade pecan pies. Now... The wedding has been planned and the day arrives. As you're beginning to walk down the aisle, you realize that not a single person has shown up at your wedding. You spend all this time planning, all this money, much time in preparation, and not a single person has shown up. That's exactly what happened in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the wedding feast that we just read, "The king." The king, the man with wealth and honor, had planned a great wedding celebration and not a single person showed up. This is a fantastic parable with many lessons that we could learn, but there's two points that I'd like to make tonight from this parable in Matthew chapter 22. Before that, let me point out the characters in this parable. First, we have the king who represents God. We have the wedding feast that represents heaven to us. We've got the invitation that was sent out, which represents the gospel... ...or our invitation to salvation. We've got the servants that sent out the message... ...and those would be the disciples of Christ. And then we have the people who the message was taken to. And those people represent you, and those people represent me. The first point tonight is that there are two types of people. there there are the people that accept God's invitation and who plan on going to heaven. And then there are those people who reject the invitation and focus on themselves. In verse 5 of Matthew chapter 22, we see some people who received the invitation, but they made light of it. One guy went off to his farm, the other guy went off to his business. In other words, they were saying, the things that I have going on in my life are much more important than anything the king has planned. And so I'm just going to forget about this invitation and do what I want to do. Unfortunately, in our society today, we have many people who receive the invitation. They have the Bible, but they decide that things going on in their own lives are much more important than the things that the king has planned. And then we have the group of people who accept the invitation. And by your presence here tonight, I I think I can assume that all of us are people who are accepting the invitation and who are planning on attending the great wedding feast, heaven. But the thing that we have to watch out for is my second point, and that's found in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 22. Here we are introduced to the man who showed up at the wedding feast, but he wasn't wearing the right clothing. He didn't have on the king's garment. You see, this man had planned on going to the feast. He had planned on going to heaven, but he hadn't prepared himself for going to heaven. Again, unfortunately in our society today, I think you see millions, if not billions of people who will say they are planning on going to heaven. But many of those people will not take the necessary steps to prepare themselves for going to heaven. You see, this man didn't show up clothed properly. When we show up to heaven to the great wedding feast, we need to be clothed properly. We need to be clothed in righteousness. We need to wear garments that have been made white as snow because of the blood of Christ. Our challenge from Matthew chapter 22 is simply this tonight. First of all, we have to be people that plan on going to the feast. But secondly, we've got to be people who prepare on going to the feast. People who will not show up like the man in verse 11 wearing the wrong clothing, but people who will show up at this feast clothed in righteousness. Think about the last invitation that you received in the mail. Maybe it was an invitation to a birthday party or a special dinner. Or maybe it was an invitation to a wedding. On this invitation there was probably some description of the event that you were going to. And then there was probably directions on how to get there. The great thing about this invitation that we all have, this invitation from God, it's like any other invitation you'll receive. First of all, it describes the event that we're being invited to. In here, you will read wonderful words about heaven, about the feast that we will be going to, wonderful words about how great it will be. But the most important thing about this invitation that I hold is that we are given directions on how to get there. First of all, we're giving a set of directions. Uh, We're told to believe, believe in Christ. We're told to repent of our sins. We're told to confess Jesus before other men. And then we're told to partake of the beautiful act of baptism. Simple directions that we are given in this invitation on how to get to the event. But the second part of this invitation is that we are even given directions when we get lost. When we make a wrong turn, when we allow sin to pull us off the right path, God has given us directions on how to get back on the right path. And he simply says, repent, because I have given you my son whose blood washes you white as snow. And if you repent, I'll get you back on the path so that you can be with me at the great wedding feast. Tonight, if you are willing to accept the king's invitation in any way whatsoever, please come as we stand and as we sing.